0: Sunday afternoon to watch the Crusaders play the Highlanders and win the Super Rugby Aotearoa trophy. And Pip and I had been invited by our parishioners who some years ago had stopped attending St Barnabas. But because they knew he had an interest in rugby, they continued to invite us to watch matches with them. And so our friendship has continued. And it was because they wanted to stay engaged with us. Uh, They could so easily have made no effort at all. They weren't at church anymore. Why bother? Well, for whatever reason, they did bother, and we see them regularly, and we value that. How often have you had the experience of a challenging relationship, for example, or even hurt or wounding, and you've been tempted to disengage? Stop making the calls. Stop turning up. Stop making an effort. Disengaging is actually quite easy. Staying engaged is hard. Today's gospel reading um, about the Canaanite woman's request of Jesus is all about staying engaged in spite of setbacks. This is what happened. Jesus and his disciples have gone beyond the northern border of Galilee into the mixed race uh, territory of Tyre and Sidon on the coast, he had just fed the 5,000, that's in Matthew chapter 14, and had a series of controversies with the Pharisees. And he was really trying to get away for some rest, I think. But a Canaanite woman um, came up to him and began shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But surprisingly, Jesus completely ignored her. And his disciples urged him to send her away. The commotion was so disturbing and upsetting. This was not their idea of a quiet retreat. And so he said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But this comment made absolutely no difference to her persistence. She came even closer and threw herself down in front of Jesus and said, Lord, help me. He replied in a memorable phrase because it seems so out of character. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But the woman is only just warming to her task. She has engaged Jesus now and will not let him off the hook. And in one of the best rejoinders of anyone in scripture, the woman says, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus replied, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was instantly healed. I wonder, this isn't in my notes, how they knew that. My theory is that the woman and the daughter became part of a church in the early Christian movement. and it was well known that this was the person who had that conversation with Jesus. This is such an interesting and simulating exchange. It is raw and unvarnished. You cannot detect any effort on the part of the gospel writer to iron out the wrinkles that affect our Western sensibilities. And so we're confronted with a number of questions. For example, Why does Jesus seem to put off in an apparently callous manner a woman whose desperate plea for her daughter's healing touches the heart of any loving parent? Why does he appear to insult her by calling her a dog? Is this an example of racism from the lips of Jesus? So where do we begin? Well, firstly, as with any exercise in interpretation, We must frame the situation in the right way. We must use the right category. And if our idea of Jesus doesn't fit our category, then maybe we need to adjust our category. So, for example, if we mainly think of Jesus as a kind of itinerant doctor, then I think we'll be disappointed in him. But to see Jesus primarily in this way is actually a category mistake. Jesus' fundamental mission was, in fact, to quote Jesus himself, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We must understand that the whole mission of God to all of humankind had a very particular shape. And this shape is given expression, uh, well, in our Old Testament reading this morning, Isaiah 56, very clear about that. But in Isaiah 49, it puts it very memorably as well. We read, the Lord says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. Okay, so that was too light. That was good, but it was not enough. The verse goes on. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you see the two parts there. One to Israel, but that's not enough. It was also to be Israel to the nations. So the whole trajectory of God's redeeming plan was through Israel, then to the nations. Israel was to be the light that other nations would see. Israel was to be the first fruits, if you will, the bridgehead, and then other nations would be included in the family of God. Not either or, but first this, then that. And it's clear from Jesus' own ministry that he focused primarily on Israel. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Israel had to hear his message first, that God's great promises were being fulfilled through him. So what sounds exclusivist and even racist uh, is actually an affirmation of God's faithfulness to his chosen people. But as with so much of Jesus' public career, the future keeps bursting into the present. Just as the healings of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, for example, were signs of the abundance of the kingdom exploding into the present through Jesus, so now the final mission to the whole world breaks into the present and even seems to catch Jesus himself by surprise, although that's probably a debatable point. Just look at the faith of this Gentile woman. She addresses Jesus as Lord, son of David. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus' followers call him Lord. His enemies call him not Lord, but teacher or rabbi. Right up front, she is naming herself as a follower. She calls him Lord. She also calls him son of David, the specific title of the Jewish Messiah. So even though she knows that Jesus has been sent to the Jews, she has the insight to realize that his blessing may be available to non-Jews as well. She has more insight than the disciples themselves have. In fact, Jesus often refers to the disciples uh, having little faith. In the previous chapter, after Jesus rescues Peter when he gets out of the boat in the storm, he says to him, you of little faith. It's a a gentle but firm rebuke. By contrast, Jesus says to the woman, great is your faith. Now, there are other questions that need comment because the terms the woman uses of Jesus appear to be in sharp contrast to the terms Jesus Uses of her. The woman's words are respectful and deferential. Jesus' words appear cold and disrespectful. The two terms that catch us are woman and dog. But don't forget that Jesus used the word woman of his own mother. Remember the wedding at Cana in Galilee. He also uses the word woman for Mary Magdalene and a number of other women. And in none of these examples are there any overtones of disrespect or coldness. There's a cultural and linguistic subtlety here that's kind of been lost in translation. It was a respectful uh, title to use for someone you didn't know the name of. But what about the word dogs? That's uh, a little bit more difficult to rationalize. The overriding issue is that In no other exchange do we find Jesus treating a person in need with disrespect. He didn't do that. There's no other example. So we have cause to wonder about the meaning of this word in this context. First of all, the word dog was indeed used in an offensive manner by Jews to refer to Gentiles. However, Jesus uses the diminutive form of the word here puppies. Commonly part of a Gentile household, not part of Jewish households. They didn't like dogs, but they were commonly um, found in Gentile households. The other thing to keep in mind is that Jesus may well have had a twinkle in his eye when he said this. Again, some things you can't translate fully, some things are lost in translation, and we need to be aware of that wider context. I know that doesn't fully explain um, the use of the word dog there, but I think it has enough information and background to help just a little bit more. So what are our learnings for today? Well, we do need to take on board the fact that Jesus was indeed sent to the Jews first. But just around the corner, the gospel would go out into all the world. And the Canaanite woman shows great spiritual insight when she spoke of the bread falling from the master's table. Because the sustaining bread of the gospel was indeed falling from Israel's table in the ministry of Jesus. After Pentecost and through the church, the bread of life was going out into all the world, falling outwards, if you will. And this woman had the faith to see it coming to her ahead of time. The disciples themselves are not yet ready for Easter. They don't understand. But this Canaanite woman is already insisting on Pentecost. She wants the future benefits of the gospel in the present. And so she stayed engaged with Jesus. She was bold. She persisted. She knew the identity of Jesus and wanted to share in his blessing. You know, in the last few weeks, we as a church have been challenged by three separate characters from Scripture. Uh, those who've been here three in a row will know exactly what I mean. Big tick for you guys. Um Jacob the trickster, remember him two Sundays ago. Elijah the Sulker last Sunday, and now the unnamed Canaanite woman, the fully engaged one, I would say. Jacob taught us to keep clinging to God. For a blessing when our strength has gone. In fact, it's best if you start clinging to God even before that. Elijah taught us that the renewal of our call will snap us out of defeat. And the Canaanite woman has summarized for us nicely this lesson of engagement stay engaged when you're at the end of your resources, stay engaged when you want to pout and run away, stay engaged when you simply don't understand why God is not answering your prayers. Stay engaged. Nothing is solved by disengaging. All those questions or issues or frustrations remain. The only way is to stay with it, wrestle with the issues, and gradually you will find there is resolution or healing or renewal of some description. It's too easy to slip away or not turn up. Gradually become invisible. It's too easy to allow difficult questions to poison our minds and hearts. It's too easy to allow broken relationships to grumble along without resolution. Stay engaged by being there, reaching out, and giving verbal expression to our fears and worries. Stay engaged. Pip has taught me a lot about this. Unsurprisingly, she's quite a holy person. Um, We didn't hear from one of her siblings for a long time and they lived in Christchurch. So she suggested we call them up and organise to have a meal with them. Part of me wanted to say, let them phone us. They know where we are, we've got a lot of demands, let them make the first move. But I was glad that we followed Pip's advice. It's too easy just to disengage and let Things drift. When I was in my 20s, I went through a period of intense questioning about my faith. What was it based on, really? Could I trust the Bible? Is there a God? Why don't I feel God's presence or see answers to to prayers more often? But I hung in there with all my questions. And my vicar at the time, who was a very wise person, gave me a number of books to read. And I realized, I should have realized this myself, that I realized that all my questions had been thoroughly wrestled with by other people and there were some answers, some jolly good answers. But I stayed engaged, you see, and became stronger as a result. If only we knew the name of that Canaanite woman. I think she would be a saint. But we don't really need to know her name because her boldness and perseverance and engagement remain a model for faith in the 21st century, perhaps especially for the 21st century. Is there someone you need to stay engaged with? Do you need to stay engaged with God? Amen.